Our speaker for the week, Reverend Dr. Jaron Rowell, served as a local church pastor for 25 years and then as a district superintendent for 12 years before being elected to serve as the president of Nazarene Theological Seminary, where he currently serves. My first interaction with Dr. Rao was when he was editing the Preacher's Magazine back when I was serving in my first senior pastorate way back in the 90s. I felt a close affinity with his ideas concerning pastoral ministry. Dr. Rao has written several books, including one many of you are reading, These 40 Days, the devotional book I selected for us to read together this year. As you probably know, for the most part, we invite preachers who have pastoral experience to lead us through these annual times of spiritual deepening because we feel that those best equipped to help us are those who have struggled in the trenches of real life with real people who have real struggles, experience real tragedies, and desire to live for Christ in the face of whatever happens to them. In his own words, Dr. Rao says, my great joy is time spent with my wife, four children and their spouses, and six grandchildren. I love baseball, Chicago Cubs, <laughs> music, especially big band jazz, and ice cream. I think we can forgive him his allegiance to the Cubs since Theo, our hero, is out there. Yes. Right? So that works okay. It is our privilege also to have... Uh, Dr. Uh, Rao's wife, Starla, with us. If you just stand and wave at us real quick so we know who you are. There. We're so pleased that she's able to be here with us um, during these days. Uh, before I invite him to come to the pulpit, I would like us to do one exercise together. And for those of you who are having difficulty standing and sitting, you're welcome to stay seated. But th for the rest of you, if you would stand with me, uh, we've typically had a chorus or a theme song that we've used throughout these times, and I, I've selected something for us to sing each time before Pastor Rao comes to speak to us. And if we could have the lyrics to that on the screen. Uh, you remember back to uh, the Sacred Assembly where we turned and faced each other and read scripture to one another on that evening service, and I encourage you to use your loud outdoor voice for that. This is another one of those. Okay, this is a prayer. We're just going to sing three verses of it. It's going to be just our voices, but I would like your outdoor voice. Okay, while we sing this together. Are you ready? Oh, for a heart to praise my God, a heart from sin set free, a heart that always feels thy blood so freely shed for me. A heart resigned, submissive me, my great Redeemer's throne. Where only Christ is heard to speak, where Jesus reigns alone. A heart in every thought renewed and full of love divine, perfect and right and pure and good. A copy, Lord, of thine. Amen. You may be seated. Brother Ralph, you would come at this time. Greetings to you in the name of our crucified, risen, and ascended Lord Jesus Christ. We're in this wonderful season of Lent when we're following Jesus to the cross, of course. 
And so we're focused on that Paschal journey, Jesus moving to give himself to death on the cross. But we always do that with clear focus on the victorious reality that he is risen. (laughs) And uh, every time we come to Sunday, we call it Sunday in Lent, uh, because Sundays are resurrection days, and we continue to celebrate resurrection. I think I've come to believe it's also important for us to continue to remember that he is ascended and sits at the right hand of the Father where he ever makes intercession for us. And, and part of what that reminds us, especially in a time in a world like ours, is that Jesus is Lord. Jesus is the King. He reigns. And so what are we afraid of? Why are we so anxious? Because we serve the risen King. Well, greetings to you. It's wonderful to be with you. Thank you so much, Pastor, for the invitation to come and be part of these services. And uh, we've been anticipating this time with you. Been praying that the Lord will guide us and guide our thoughts together. And as you would imagine, I have some direction and some thoughts and some plans. But let's just surrender to the work of the Spirit. And if the Lord even wants to take us in some different direction as we go along, <laughs> that'd be okay with me. Would that be okay with you? And so we'll just, we'll just do, it that, do it that way. Uh, if, if I were to take and, and gather what I'd like, what, well, where I think we'll go in these times that we have together and try, see if I could gather that under maybe a, a title or something, it might be something like this. The life you were meant to live. And I don't mean that in any kind of therapeutic way. I don't mean that in some kind of five easy steps to be happy or something like that. When I'm talking about the life you were meant to live, hold on, because this could rearrange things. This could call us to to make some turns. (laughs) That'd be a very appropriate thing to do in the Lenten season, by the way, which is very much about repentance, which doesn't mean only feeling bad about something or sorrowful for our sins. It certainly includes those kinds of ideas, but it especially means a change of mind. In the very sense that the Apostle Paul invited us to a life where we're not conformed any longer to the patterns of this world, but experience transformation by the power of the Spirit through changing the ways we think. And it seems to me a lot of that needs to happen these days. So we're going to open text in in here in just a moment. I'm going to guide us to the Gospel of John, chapter 15. So if you want to go ahead and find your way there, I hope you brought your Bible. And as my friend uh, Scott likes to say, if you didn't bring your Bible, what in the world do you think we're going to do today? Uh, But we're going to go to John chapter 15 a little bit. But let me me just sort of try and set a little bit of a framework for where this is going to go under this kind of idea of the, the life you were meant to live. Pastor Dan mentioned that my orientation is as a pastor, and that is absolutely right. I've never thought of myself as anything other than a pastor, regardless of what my role in the life of the church has been, and uh, continue to think of myself that way in this role. But I'll tell you, my greatest burden as a pastor is the constant realization that in the life of God's people, in the life of the church, that so many of us seem to live so far beneath in Christ. That life in this... (laughs) Broken, confused, angry, sometimes world of ours seems to entice us 
towards settling for far less than what Jesus Christ actually died and rose again to provide for us. Dear sisters and brothers, we're, we're, I, I look forward to getting to know you better so that that will mean even more when I say that. But I say this in love. Do you realize, dear friends, this world is lying to us. This world has tried to shape us to believe something about the autonomy and sovereignty of each of us as individuals. It's a lie. We need one another desperately. And you've already enacted that belief in our worship together this morning. And I'm very grateful for that. And there's also the lie, the myth of immortality. Oh, I know in one way we all know that death comes and it's a part of life. And it's, but we live as if we think we can somehow outwit this. If we just get healthy enough and do the right things and live the right life and pursue the good life as culture seems to frame it for us, that somehow we can find our way around that unpleasant reality. Here's the foundational premise of all that I hope we can think about by the help of the Spirit in these days. It, it's simply this. In fact, if you don't get to come the rest of the week, here it is. You're going to get it right here. It's the whole thing. I believe on the authority of God's Word. I believe with every fiber of my being, as sure as I'm standing here, that there is enough power in the death and resurrection of Jesus to change your life to transform your life. And even more than that, I believe that there is enough power in what Jesus did for us on the cross and through the power of his resurrection to redeem this world. The kingdom of God, the reign of God in Christ Jesus has broken in. The good news of the end of the story has broken right into the middle. <laughs> and we're in the midst of participating in God's mission to redeem all things to himself. Thanks be to God. I don't know how that strikes you, but that seems to mean to me that we have the opportunity then in Christ to live a whole new kind of life, a whole different kind of experience. If that's true, and I believe with all my heart that it is, then among those of us who claim the name of Jesus Christ and who have truly received Jesus as our Lord and our Savior, why is it then that so many of us seem so unchanged? Why is it that so many of us seem to be without victory over the trials and temptations of this world? Why is it that so many of us seem to be, and I know I'm speaking generally and broadly, I understand, but that so many Christians that I certainly encounter seem to live with a constancy of anxiety and fear. I don't know about you, but where I go across the life of the church, it seems to me that way too often we reflect the anxious and angry world more than we reflect the peaceable kingdom of Christ. We need to invite the Lord to do a profound work in us <laughs> so that we can reflect his kingdom. And if I could just make it very, very personal then, so why would it be that if we believe in these things and claim these things to be true in Christ Jesus, then why would it ever be that we're not living lives that are distinct and compelling to those around us? Why would so many of God's people seem to be 
entangled by sin. So it's out of those kinds of concerns and burdens that I bring these texts and bring these thoughts that I've selected for our time together this week and am praying that what we will hear together, <laughs> this, is, this is the core thing, the core prayer for me, that what we would hear would get to be so much more than the words of a preacher. You don't need to hear the words of a preacher. We need to hear a word from the Lord. And so let's invite the Lord to do precisely that. Are you in? Okay, very good. <laughs> so let's begin. Gospel of John, chapter 15, we'll read together the first eight verses. What we get here, of course, is part of Jesus in his so-called farewell discourse as John arranges it for us. He's on his way to the cross. And, you know, when somebody is in their final days, we tend to lean in and listen closely to what they have to say. I'm not sure what your custom is, but as you're able, I would invite you to stand with me as we hear the word of the Lord. John 15, beginning, uh, John chapter 15, beginning with verse 1. These are the words of the Lord Jesus. I am the true vine, and my father is the gardener. He cuts off every branch that doesn't produce fruit and, the, and he prunes the branches that do bear fruit so they'll produce even more. You have already been pruned for greater fruitfulness by the message I've given you. So And I will remain in you. For a branch cannot produce fruit if it's severed from the vine and you cannot be fruitful apart from me. Yes, I am the vine. You are the branches. Those who remain in me and I in them will produce much fruit. For apart from me, you can do nothing. Now, anyone who parts from me is thrown away like a useless branch and withers. Such branches are gathered into a pile to be burned. But if you remain in me, and my words remain in you, then you may ask anything and it will be done for you. My true disciples produce much fruit and this brings glory to my Father. The word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. Thank you, you may be seated. You know, digitally speaking, as you know, we're probably more connected than ever. The technology of our age has enabled us to make connections to one another in ways we never even imagined just really only a few years ago. And yet, in the midst of all that connection that we have, we all also seem to know how kind of disconnected and lonely we are. It seems that loneliness is especially prevalent in our time. I think we understand something about what Mamie Adams was talking about. She always went to the same branch post office all the time in her town because the employees there were so friendly and she liked to visit with them. And she went there to buy stamps one year just before Christmas and the place was packed, it was busy, the lines were long. And someone pointed out to her, said, you know, Miss Adams, you don't have to stand here in this long line if you're just going to buy stamps. You can go to this machine, right, and just put in your thing and buy the stamps. You don't really have to wait in line. It's an automated deal. It's fantastic. To which Mamie replied, I know but the machine won't ask me about my arthritis. 
We long for connection. People are hungry today, it seems to me, for personal connection, for actually knowing something of one another, for actually caring about one another's lives. We were created that way. We were created with this need for meaningful connection. And yet, in spite of all the things that are supposed to be connecting us and facilitating relationship among us, we find ourselves so often, even in our own households at times, profoundly disconnected. You've, you've had the experience, you know, of going into a restaurant or somewhere and people gathered around the table, right? And you know what they're doing. Everybody's... <laughs> We never do that, do we? No, 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 no. One time Starla and I were sitting together at, in, the, in our home office and uh, actually I th- texted one another. Or I, well, I emailed her. I emailed her asking her a question. Right there, we were sitting right in the same room. But anyway. <laughs> Vital connection is at the very heart of what Jesus is talking about in this very familiar passage that we've read together this morning about the vine and the branches of the vine. Jesus is teaching on what it means to be vitally connected to God and to one another in ways that bring life and health. And the life we were meant to live in Christ begins right here. God created us with this need for connection. And of course, our primary need for connection is to be connected to God. Our life comes out of the very life of God in connection. Our core, our central theological affirmation is that God is three. Trinity, three in one, Father, Son, Spirit. That's not just some sort of abstract philosophical construct. It's a picture, as best as we can get our puny minds around it, of the perfect holy community of fellowship that is shared by Father, Son, and Spirit. And it's out of that life-giving relationship and community that everything we know and are is born. The whole world was born out of that connection. Our life together was born out of that connection. And we as God's people, we as people, we as the world, are invited into that life-giving connection in Christ Jesus. That's the very essence of what it means for us to be human beings and to be in relationship with one another and with God. And so here, Jesus just uses a word picture to describe that that just about anybody could relate to. He says it's like a vine and the branches of a vine. And if the branches stay vitally connected to the vine, they live and they bear fruit. And if the branches are not vitally connected to the vine, then they cannot fulfill their intended function. Eventually they die and are cut off from the source. It's a simple lesson. We see it all the time in nature. But there are some particulars of this lesson that I think we need to get if we're to really understand what it is Jesus is inviting us to here. For example, did you hear Jesus say, I am the true vine. Did you hear that qualifier? I'm the true vine. That suggests to me there are other possibilities. Vines that offer themselves to us as sources for life, but actually they can't produce 
And it seems to me that in a world like ours, there are just so many options in that regard that can seem nearly limitless choices at times that we could make, many of which claim to be for us a source of life, happiness, fulfillment. You know how this works. These messages come to us constantly. Here's the good life. Chase this. (laughs) Give yourself to that. And even... Life in the contemporary church, contemporary spirituality has become something of a buffet of choices that we're we're invited to kind of go through and, you know, just make some decisions based on our own preferences. Oh, a little of that, a little of this, a little contemplative spirituality. Yeah, I like a little of that. I'll, I'll take a little of that, please. But listen carefully. Jesus does not invite us to a connection that is of our own making. He does not say here, you find the connection that seems to work for you. You you find the connection that's within each of you. He, He doesn't say, get connected to your spirit, as some would say, or whatever you like the best. No, Jesus says, I am the true vine. And if you really want to be plugged into the source of life, if you really want to find vital connection, it's through me and no one else. And no matter what pop culture may preach, there are not, according to Jesus, many paths to God that are equal and the same. He is, as he said to us in chapter 14, if we were to go backward just a little bit, he is the way, truth, and life. No one comes to the Father except through him. We need to get that first. If we don't, then we can just spend a lot of effort trying to find our purpose in life, trying to find that connection for which we long. And it's just going to be futile work until we finally Make that deepest connection in Christ, the connection for which our hearts actually long. Now, once we're connected to Christ, that's not the end of the story because Jesus makes a really big deal in this passage about staying connected. That really is kind of the heart of it. Five or six times in what we have heard together, he says, remain in me. The the translation I grew up on, maybe some of you too, said, abide in me. We don't use that word much anymore, kind of an old-fashioned word. You know, hotel signs don't say, abide with us. (laughs) What do they say? Stay here. And that's the sense of it. Stay here. It has to do with persevering, with continuing, lasting, staying put, Maybe that's why the word abide has fallen into disrepair in our time. We live in a world of constancy of change and consumer preference. And yet Jesus says, if you really want vital connection to me, vital connection to God, if you hunger for a meaningful sense of purpose, and here's one way to do it, stay put with me now how do we do that gets to be the question jesus gives us the answer in verse three he repeats it in verse seven it's through his word 
Listen, you are clean because of the word I have spoken to you. Verse 3. And then he says, if you remain in me and my words remain in you, verse 7. So he's assuring his disciples and us that if they want to stay connected to him, it's really no big mystery. It's by living in the truth of his words about who the Father is, about what life in his name means, about what it means to be connected to this life-giving relationship in the holy God. Now, it's interesting to me that this passage that we're thinking about this morning takes us right up to the moment when Jesus will be betrayed. And so these are his, in some way, final moments surrounding him now are those who, although they are his closest associates and friends, would one by one fail to abide with him. And, and Jesus has some rather frightening, in one way, words for those who fail to abide. Did you hear it? Verse 2, it just pulls no punches. It, it's just right out there. The Father, he says, cuts off every branch that bears no fruit. Wow. It's an all-or-nothing proposition. If you stay vitally connected to Jesus by living within the truth of his word, you're alive. If you don't, you're dead. Simple as that. And by the way, I do think it's important and helpful for us to note that uh, these barren branches that Jesus is talking about here, that they're not completely outside when they become unfruitful. Did you notice that? Think about that. These branches are also connected in a way to the vine. They're just not connected in life-giving ways. That even though they look like they're attached to the vine, actually they're trying to draw up nourishment from other sources. And it doesn't work. They might go through the motions of connection, but they're seeking their life from places other than the vine. Can you hear what the Lord is saying? He's saying that just hanging around a really good church like this one won't get it done. Just kind of going through the motions and being part of a community of faith, even as beautiful one as this, won't keep you. That in itself won't keep you vitally connected to Christ. In fact, it may be one of the reasons that in in recent chapter of American Christianity, we just, so many people, just at least in larger communities, going from one church to the next, blaming the church for not meeting their needs. When in reality, they are (laughs) dried up branches trying to hang on. The the, the unproductive branches in verse 2 that Jesus speaks about, these are people within the community of faith who do not bear fruit. And the fruit bearing that Jesus has in mind here is very clearly love. Just a little earlier, chapter 13, if we were to go further back, Jesus says to us, you remember? A new commandment I'm giving to you, love one another. 
as I have loved you. How do you do that? It will be by stretching himself out to give himself fully and completely for our redemption. As I have loved you, so in the same way, you must love one another. And we get to the end of the Gospel of John, chapter 20, and the risen Jesus will say to the terrified new church, as the Father has sent me, I'm sending you. Well, that sounds great until you think about how the Father sent Jesus. How? To lay down his life for the sake of a broken world. As the Father sent me, I'm sending you. That's the cruciform picture, reality of how Jesus invites us to participate in his fruitfulness. It's through loving one another and loving those around us so deeply that our whole posture and orientation of life shifts from everything this world is telling us to focus on, which is self-protection, guard my own future, secure my own life, to what do I need to do? How do I need to rearrange my life? How do I need to pour out my life for the sake of you? And the you is the one that God places in my pathway that God gives me an opportunity to serve. That's a love, dear friends, that has to go so much deeper than simply empathy or sympathy for another person. It's a love that has to go so much deeper than simply recognizing a need and realizing, oh, sure, yeah, I could do something to help there. It's a love that would compel us to so disrupt and reorient our lives that it changes us. A number of years ago as a, as a pastor, God placed his finger, if you will, on a major flaw in my Christian character. It's not necessarily fun when God does that. Have you learned that? I had to face the hard truth as a pastor of people that while my love for God was full to the very best of my knowledge and understanding, the truth is my love for others was deficit. And it was too easy for me to see even my own people that I had been given to shepherd. This is hard to confess, but it's, <laughs> it was too easy for me to see them as a means to my own end. If you all just line up and get things done and make stuff happen around here, then everything of life would be good. I mean, I never said that. I would have never said that. But, you know. Truth is, if you all just line up and get... <laughs> and so when I was convicted with that and the Lord showed me this and showed me the reality of it and he didn't show it to me out of the demands of people, he showed it to me out of the pattern of Jesus and the truth of his word. I didn't know what to do. So here's what I started to do. I began to pray that... <laughs> that God would fill my heart with his love for the people that he'd given me. Can I tell you, that's a dangerous prayer. 
That's the kind of prayer that will rearrange your life. <laughs> and that's the kind of prayer that will open up a lot of possibility for pain. As you gather into your life the brokenness and pain of the relationships that we tend to share together. And yet, in that movement of self-sacrificing, poured out love, we begin to discover something deep in terms of a connection with the Lord Jesus that draws us up closer than we ever would have imagined to the very heart of God. I'm trying to say, and I'm not doing it very well right now, but I'm just trying to say to you, don't be afraid of the suffering and pain that could come with actually loving others. It might sound a little scary at first, and, and it kind of can be, <laughs> and it can be painful. Yes, it can be. Sure, it can be, but here's the truth of it. It will draw you up into the very heart of God in deeper ways than you've ever known before. So don't, don't go, I'm, now, don't, hear, don't mishear me. I'm not saying go look for trouble. Don't do that. <laughs> Just don't be afraid. Just don't be afraid to say yes. Um, I didn't ask you permission to tell this, but, and I won't tell all of it. <laughs> but God put a, a woman in Starla's pathway, like kind of like that, who had been abandoned by her family and had no one to care for her. And when it became evident and obvious what Bev really needed to be cared for, it was costly. I just mean, I don't mean in terms of money and that. I just mean in terms of the action, the activity, the actual physical caring of her body and that. And she, Bev one time asked Starla, would you do this for me? And Starla said, no, I, I just, I can't. And she left and was driving away. And by her own testimony, the Lord said to Starla, you can't or you won't. So she turned the car around <laughs> and did what she didn't want to do and opened up a season of beautiful relationship in which the very presence of God was made manifest in the simple care of one for another until she went to be with the Lord. See, I, I'm just, I'm trying to say it's, it's, it's really not complex. It's really not difficult. It's really very, very simple. If, if we can let go of our fear and allow God really to draw us up into all that he wants to do. Now that illustrates probably what is the hardest part of this whole thing. So we need to get there before we're done. <laughs> and the hardest part of all this is that in order to see the, God's love as, as real fruit in our discipleship, here's what it takes. It takes pruning. Did you hear that part? Pruning? Ew. Pruning doesn't come to us naturally. No, in fact, pruning, if some of you know, who work with gardens, and you know, I'm no good at any of that, but pruning can be ugly. Uh, in fact, my mother-in-law was a master gardener, and when she would go and prune a bush, I thought she'd ruin the whole thing. I mean, it just looked awful, but she could see what I couldn't see and what would happen after that. It can be ugly in the moment, but it 
bears beautiful results and fruit. It's able to leaf out and produce in a way that goes far beyond what would have happened if it had just been left without the pruning. And, and right there may be something of the real connection for which our hearts long. The ache that we have for a deep connection that exists within the every, heart of every one of us that cannot be met by a therapeutic connection, by just any old connection that this world offers to us. Here, pursue this experience. That'll, that'll really put you on the map. That'll make you happy. Pursue this way of physical well-being and health. Now, that's what will really secure your life and make things good. It, it's numberless, what, what the world's trying to offer to us. It can only be met by the life-giving connection to the one who's not afraid to prune and shape through the struggles and trials of life until we conform to the image of Christ and live to the very glory of God. So Jesus' teaching here really is quite simple when it comes down to it, and it's the place from which I would call us to begin this week of spiritual deepening together. That, that if we stay connected to him deeply, we will live productive and meaningful lives if we try to find a source in anything or anyone but Christ, we're going to dry up and die. You'll only find your real sense of purpose in life when we let go of all the ways this world is offering us to make life meaningful and pleasurable and turn our lives totally, fully, and completely in God's direction. And so, as we begin, just, just two or three questions that I'd like to put before us for us to pray over, think about, invite the Spirit to speak to us around. Do you have a source for your life, for living, that enables you to rise above the stresses and strains of living in this world? Do you have a sense of a deep source that's bigger than what's wrong with this world? Do you sense, if I can put it this way, do you have a sense of the very lifeblood of Christ coursing through your veins? You can. Or, or if, I'll put it the other way. Do you? Do you? And if you do, it's okay. just tell the truth. There's no shame here. Do you feel dried up? Lifeless? Like so much dead wood that's just in danger of being burned up? Here's good news. It doesn't have to stay that way. It doesn't have to stay that way. The risen Christ is here. <laughs> calling us with love and compassion. Doesn't matter what the story has been. Doesn't matter 
what the reality is of how badly we fouled it up. It doesn't matter what we're ashamed of. He's here with his arms open saying, I can help you. I can restore this. Now, it might take some pruning, and that might not feel good for a little bit, and it might not look very good for a little while, but trust me, I know what I'm doing. This is Jesus inviting us to experience his very life by remaining in him so that his life begins to flow freely through us and enable us indeed to live the life we were meant to live. So I'd like to invite us to pray over that. I'm going to invite the musicians to come and we're going to sing together a, a song. And as we sing, I would just invite your response to the Lord. So don't get so, we're going to sing together, but don't get so caught up in singing that you don't about what the Lord's trying to and, and here would be my invitation to us. I don't want to assume anything about you. I don't want to assume one thing about who's here. And so my first invitation would be, if you've never in your own life, if you've never yet come to the place of opening your heart to the Lord Jesus Christ and inviting him to be the forgiver and the leader of your life, I'd like to invite you to say yes to Jesus today and begin that journey. Or maybe you've been walking with the Lord and you recognize that you've come to a, another decision point in your life probably, a point of really letting go of self-rule, of trying to secure your own life, your own future, and asking Christ to do the deeper work that we sometimes in our movement call the holy life. <laughs> the life of being sanctified, cleansed, set apart for his holy purpose. That might be a point of decision for you this week. Could be today. Because there's a gift that God will do in us at that moment. That's not then like, okay, that's good, that's done. <laughs> but it's an entry point to a different kind of journey with him. And there might be some of us who would simply say, you know, the truth of the matter is, even though I'm, I'm seeking to walk with Jesus and to follow him, just the truth of it is, I've just been allowing the cares of this world to choke out my peace and rob me of my joy. And this is probably a good time for a realignment. So whatever, whatever it is and what, however the Lord would guide us to respond, could I invite us simply to say yes to what the Spirit wants to do as we respond together. We have a place of prayer here that's set aside. You know about it. Nothing magical about the altar. It's just a beautiful place where we can come and offer our... But I'd invite you as we sing to come if that'd be helpful to you. But you just obey the Lord however he wants you to respond. Could we stand together as we sing and you obey the Lord? Think about his goodness. 
the endings of the services. And the convention is this. We want the sanctuary to be a place of prayer at the end of all of our services. So the convention is we talk in the lobby after the service is over. Please talk in the lobby. But this will be a place of prayer. We'll observe that at the end of each service. So I'm going to offer a prayer and a benediction at this time. But I would ask you, uh, if you'd like to linger in the sanctuary, to stay and pray, you're welcome to do that. If you want to visit, Let's pray together. Gracious God, thanks for your word today. Your word that instructs us, that convicts us, that, that comforts us, that points us to you. And we ask, Lord, that as we are responding right now to all that we've heard and what we've discovered, that you would give us open, obedient hearts, that we may take the steps that you invite us to take. We pray this in your name. And now may the peace of Christ guard your hearts. And may you live to his glory now and forever. Amen.